0: In our community groups about the, uh, the sermon last week about grace and truth, and we all kind of identified uh, our leanings. Some of us are like, yep, I'm a grace person. That seems to be my tendency. I like to show grace. And we learned that grace people primarily wanna be loved. So they'll sometimes let things slide and just worried about people being happy. So we wanna be loved because we want people to, to like us. And then we learned that truth people are more about being right. They want uh, here's the truth, and if it hurts your feelings, sucks to be you, right? I just we we. But what was great was like in our community group, we was it was going. We went around the room. Are you a grace person, truth person? It was like boom, everybody identified one way or the other. So we have these leanings, right? But what we learned, so 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 then grace people think that truth people have no heart, and 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 truth people think that grace people have no spine but then we learn in this great that Jesus according to John chapter 1 14 was full of grace what and truth he didn't have to pick one or the other it wasn't like it wasn't either or it was yeah I am full of grace and full and what was crazy he was full of both of them And I think one of the things that that made the the message of Jesus and his ministry so compelling was this incredible synthesis of grace and truth. And I'd love to take a closer look this week to Jesus, at Jesus, to see how he made this work. And maybe he can give us some guidance on loving well. And and here's what, what I'd love to see happen. Leveraging your tendency towards grace and truth in order to love people like Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could look at who you are and your deficiencies as an opportunity for you and God to love people better than you could on your own? So we're going to look at where we're going with all of this and, and, uh, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22, so kind of give us some setting here. And I'd love to see what, what Jesus is trying to teach us in his discourses. So he is, at this point, the setting in Matthew chapter 22 is he has already ridden into Jerusalem. We're at the end of his ministry here on earth, the end of his life on earth. This is what we might call the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday as it's celebrated a lot of times uh, in, in, in Western Christianity. And you have Jesus riding into Jerusalem. They wanted to make him king. Everybody is celebrating. Everybody is cheering. Hosanna, right? They, they want to make this individual their ruler. So he has tremendous influence right now. Lots of people are listening to him. He's got a crowd of folks around him in that crowd are Pharisees and Sadducees. He's just kind of embarrassed the Sadducees. And so this lawyer steps up, and he's going to ask Jesus a question. Now, interestingly, you think of the commands that God gave the Jewish people. There were only 10 of them. Seems pretty simple. But then what they became good at was extrapolating those commands out and creating rules To help you define what it meant. So so you can only walk this many paces on the Sabbath day or else it's work. Like you you can do this, but you can't do that. So they had over 600 rules that they had contrived from the 10 rules, the 10 commandments. And so there is a lawyer that specialized in all of these rules. And so this lawyer who is a Pharisee steps up to ask Jesus this question. He says this in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answers him in verse 37. He says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Kind of hard to disagree with that, right? But then Jesus Takes this step and he goes somewhere that maybe they weren't in, expecting. And he goes, and the second, he, you know, the lawyer didn't ask for this. He said, but the second is like it. The King James says, like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus takes a peg and he sticks it in the wall, love God. And you can put all of these commandments on that one. And then he puts another peg in the wall and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can take all the other commandments and put it on that. And you can put all of the commands on one of those two pegs because they encompass all of them. But here's the word that I want us to notice. And I was kind enough to change the color so we would focus on that. And the second is like it. So he's saying you've got this first law. You have, you have loving God. And then he says you have the second law, loving your neighbor as yourself. And he goes, they're, they're alike. And you're like, well, that's not really what it means. What do you think like means? Like literally means, if, if, you're, if you go back and, and look up in the Greek, like literally means similar to, equivalent in value, the same as. It's kind of hard to get away from what Jesus was saying here, that, that loving God has as much weight as loving your neighbor. Loving God is similar to loving your neighbor. Loving God is equivalent in value to loving your neighbor. Loving God looks the same as loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor has the same weight as loving God. Now, that's a pretty remarkable statement. Let me say it this way. Loving God looks a lot like loving your neighbor. Your horizontal relationships are a pretty good indicator of your vertical relationship. Which should worry some of us. Because the truth is that we have a difficult time with certain people. And some of you are the certain people. (laughs) I say that with all the grace that you can imagine me having. We, so so many times, like, we like to sound spiritual about our relationship with God, but we're just horrible human beings to other people. And they're they're not congruent. And what, what we're seeing here, according to what Jesus is saying is that, is that you have two commands. And loving God and loving your neighbor are, are similar. They're alike. They have the same weight. In fact, one of the disciples who was in that crowd, John, 70 years later wrote a few books um, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Clever titles. In 1 John chapter 4, John, who was in the crowd, who heard this message, he wrote this in verse 20 of 1 John chapter 4. If someone says, I love God, right? I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the record, I did not say that. John did. I'm reading what John wrote. That's pretty strong. When I read he is a liar, I hear that little old lady on the Princess Bride. Liar! (laughs) Liar, liar, liar! That's what I hear right here. If you say, I love God, but you are a jerk to everybody else in your life, you are a liar. If you say, I love God, But you have big issues with a lot of people. You are a liar. For he, (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't write this because I want you to like me. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? What I'm saying here is that Jesus places a lot of weight on the love that we have for each other. So then, So then Jesus takes it up a notch. A little later, in that same time frame, Jesus is preparing to observe Passover with his disciples. We celebrate that as the Lord's Supper. We've seen the famous painting, right? That was about to happen. But before that happened, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and took a basin of water and a towel and he washed the disciples' feet before they took the Passover, observed the Passover together. And there's this incredible discourse in, in John chapter 13 where Peter's like, oh no, you shouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, then and then you know, Peter, he's like, well, just wash my whole body then, you know, kind of weird. Um, but he he was showing how, We need to have this attitude of service, right? And I almost picture him on his knees saying what he's about to say in John 13. He says this in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you. So he's already said, here's the great commandment. And the second one's just like it. Now I'm going to give you a new one. This is like moments after now. So he, he, he preached to the crowd. He's in Jerusalem. Now, now they're going to go and they're going to have dinner together. They're going to celebrate Passover. And he says, now there's a new commandment I'm going to give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's pretty remarkable. So what Jesus has done now, Jesus sets the, the love bar even higher by saying, As I have loved you. So, how did Jesus love? Well, we we see from his example how he modeled love. He came to earth to be with us. He took up residence among us in order to be able to cultivate a relationship, right? So he, he began a relationship with us. That's how he loved us. And then, and then he became like us. He felt what we feel. He got hungry and thirsty and tired. He was in pain. He suffered. He was tempted like we are. And he gave them his life. And then he gave his life for them. So, so this is how Jesus loved. And, of course, they had no idea at this moment when he is telling them that this is a new commandment, how much this love was going to cost. Because in just a matter of hours, he's going to be betrayed and then taken to the cross. And they will be able to see how much he loved them. He's saying this kind of love is not the same kind of love as you thought you might have had. Because this is me loving you. And this kind of love as you love each other this way, it's going to show God off to this world the next verse says this he said by this by that kind of love by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another now now scripture tells us let me rephrase that the word love in scripture is all l-o-v-e for us but there were three types of what we might call biblical love if you look back on it, you have three words that are all translated love. And, and you, have the, you have the word eros, where, where we would get the word erotic. It's a sensual love. It's a selfish love. It's what's in it for me. There's a second kind of love that we see in scripture. And it's the word phileo. It's a brotherly love. It's kind of like it's good for you and it's good for me. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of Brotherly love, that's, that's the word phileo, so you have eros, phileo, and then you have this incredible word, agape, and that is a God-like love, that is an unconditional love for somebody else, that's the love that he's talking about, a totally unselfish love. That is the love that he's describing that, that he got from God and that he is giving his disciples. And that is the standard by which the disciples are to love each other. This is the new commandment I give to you is to love each other this way. And he says that the defining characteristic of a disciple of Jesus is agape or a God-like Love, But how is this new? Like, like he just said, like the other commandment, I'm supposed to love you as I love myself. Well, there is a difference between the way Jesus loves you and the way you love yourself. Like we like the golden rule thing. Like I'm going to love you the same way I would, tr- I'm going to treat you the same way I would treat myself. And that's, n- I'm not saying that's a bad standard. I'm just saying that Jesus elevated it, that we're supposed to love better than we would love ourselves. We should love each other the way Jesus loves us. Us, everybody already knew they should love their neighbor. That was an Old Testament rule. But how is this kind of love even possible? So a few chapters later in the book of John, we're in John chapter 13, right now we're in John chapter 15. He tells them this, this is really important. This is like the pivotal moment. He says, as the father loved me, I have loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So that word abide is a word that we don't use much anymore. But it has a lot of meaning. Jesus is saying, I love you the way that the Father loves me. So according to Jesus, this is attainable. But how is this love attainable? It's it's, it's found in the word abide And I'm not smart enough to know this, but let me read to you what I found as a a way to describe this word abide, what it would have meant. It's when someone or something is permanently established in the soul and is continually influencing power in me. That's abiding. So as God was in Jesus and continually at work in and through him, that's the way Christ is in us and should be continually at work in and through us. Let me, let me put it this way. Our ability to love is directly related to our relationship with Jesus. You understand that? So, so how well I can love you and how well you can love me is proportionate to, is directly related to what my relationship with Jesus is. So then he gives this illustration in John 15, a few verses prior, and this is a pretty familiar passage to a lot of people. It's the story of the vine. And he uses the word abide four times in two verses. He says this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. So, what he's saying is, you can't expect to love this way by just being nice or learning more Bible doctrine or having a religious experience. Because you know how we are, right? We want a list, we want to know what we have to do to make God happy. We want to know what it looks like. Just give me a formula. Just tell me what to do. No, this love isn't produced by copying fruit, but by connecting to the vine. And there's a big difference. This isn't manufactured in a religious laboratory. Loving the way God loves is a team effort. If you go back and read John chapter four, I have some suggested reading for you in the bottom of your notes there. One of them is John chapter four, verses seven, I think through 20 or 21, where John is talking about the source of love is God. God is love, right? So loving the way God loved Jesus is a team effort. It requires a connection to the source So it's not in me to love the way God loves. I have to be connected to the source. A simple illustration is this lamp. It is wired up. It's connected to a plug, which is connected to our breaker box, which is connected to something more than I know. I know, sure, he would know. So so we have the potential here because it's connected. And so we turn this with the hopes that we have light. If the, if the lamp was not connected to the source, it would not be able to produce light. It could try to imitate it, but it can't produce anything. It's a team effort. And the power itself here To accomplish this is limited by the bulb. Now, here's here's what I love. Like, you may not be (laughs) the brightest bulb. You may not have the capacity to love that person fully the way God would, but when you up with God when you partner with God you can love them better than you can alone not by not by imitating behavior but by participating together Woo! I don't care if you think I was good or not that makes me happy right there so it's not a matter of me just trying to be the best version of me it is that is that Jesus is elevating the amount of love that I can have for somebody else because I am partnering with the source. So, so here's, what, here's what the conversation sounds like. All right, Jesus, how are we gonna love this one? How are we partnering together to love this individual? In what supernatural way do you want them to see and experience your love and what's my role here can we have that kind of conversation can we can we look outside of our own ability to love them up to and including how we are limited or are we okay with connecting to the source and saying all right god How do you want to love this person in my life that's unlovely? How do you want me to love this person in my life that is lovable, that I already love, but I could love them so much better and they could experience more of your love when we work on this together? This kind of love is so powerful, so overwhelmingly effective, so life-changing, so different from anything that we can produce on our own that anyone observing it can't help but connect what they are seeing and experiencing with a source of all that is good and loving, and that is God himself. So how does that affect the grace that we show? How does that affect the truth that we speak? What kind of influence could this kind of love have on your kids? how how could partnering with god affect how you love your spouse All right, god what about, what about this one how, how do you want to show them love today how do you want to how do you want to show that difficult coworker that or the people that you already love. Like, they make it easy. How do you, you want to bless them? How do you want to you make yourself known to them? Let's partner together. Let's, let's do this with God. Partnering with God to love them well. So, so I don't know who you have in mind. But maybe, maybe all you can do with all of this power... Is not to eye roll. Maybe that's all you got right now. Like, like this person in your life is so difficult to love that, that when you go to God and you're like, all right, how do we love? The best that you can do is is to not is, is to not roll your eyes. I know that's a low bar, right? I know, I know we we think that's funny, but but I'm saying maybe that's all you got. Maybe that's all that would be supernatural in your life right now. (laughs) I got a few folks like that, okay? But maybe that's the best that we can do right now is just to keep our mouth shut. Maybe with God's help, we can do a little better than that, though. And I'm just saying, can we ask this question, God, how is it that you and I can partner together to effectively love this person in my life. That's the new commandment. Loving them, loving someone else the way you have been loved by God. So as you're partnering with the source, can you do better than you are? Maybe you, maybe you can begin to see them the way God sees them because they're broken and they need God's love. And they're in your life. It's not a coincidence. God has placed you there. So how are we partnering with him to make this possible, yeah, it's easy to see their imperfections. It's harder to see our own, but they're there. So, so, so then let's take this a step further. So, imagine. So, what, what's what's interesting about about the verse that I just shared with you, where Jesus said that people are going to know you're my disciples if you have this kind of love one for another. I don't think that means that that other Christians are the only people you're supposed to love. You're like, oh. What I think it means is imagine how much better it would be if I'm loving you that way and then you're loving me that way. And everybody here is loving each other that way, and that becomes the the trademark characteristic of a group of believers is that everybody in that family loves this way. I'm not saying that we don't love our coworkers that way. I'm not saying we don't love our geographic neighbor who lives on your street that way. I'm saying, I'm saying imagine what it would be like if, if everybody here loved each other that way. Now it becomes really noticeable Loving your neighbor that way is remarkable. Loving each other that way is miraculous. And now it's becoming crazy love. Like that's ridiculous that they love each other that much. The heart of grace and truth and everything we do is this bottomless, fathomless love from our Father. That has to be experienced to be known. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 19 through 21. He said this, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Like one of my favorite phrases. I want you to know this thing that you can't know. But that's not really what he's saying. Because you have two different versions of the word know in the Greek. And it's the word gnosko. And you have two different versions of that same word. It's it's. And to know from experience the love that surpasses just what you know in your mind. Because when you experience the love of God, it surpasses anything that your mind could have imagined. And Paul says, I want you to know that kind of love, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And you're like, Eric, that seems impossible. Loving this way, partnering with him, connecting this way to love the world that he has put me in. That's, man, that's impossible. Well, I'm glad you said that because he didn't end there, right? He said, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. See, so yeah, Jesus was full of grace and truth because everything He did was connected to the source of love, His Father, and our ability to love one another and to show grace and to speak truth has everything to do with our relationship with Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome if, throughout this whole process, God is actually changing you and conforming you into the image of His Son? Rather than you just worrying about everybody else in your life who irritates you to change, maybe God is seeing that you need the changing because you're the one connected to the source. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I don't, I don't know now, like I don't even know what that fully means, but I am grateful for the indwelling Holy Spirit, the vertical relationship that I enjoy, and I just pray that you would help me see ways to love those in my world like you love them.